You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and before we get started with today's episode, I want to make sure that you know that I'll be teaching a free masterclass the first week of April all about how to overcome overwhelm. If you ever feel like the weight of your family is on you, on your shoulders, and you are about to collapse underneath the load of it all, this class is for you. I will teach you three actionable steps you can take to start reprioritizing your responsibilities and shifting your perspectives so family life feels more manageable and less overwhelming. Sound too good to be true? Well, the class is free, so you have nothing to lose by signing up and coming to see if I can help you. The Overcoming Overwhelm Masterclass will be offered twice during the first week of April, so you can choose the time that is best for you, and there will also be a replay. Just go to 3in30podcast.com slash masterclass to reserve your seat. That's 3in30podcast.com slash masterclass. You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and this month of episodes has been brought to us by BetterHelp, which is the world's largest counseling service done 100% online. You know I love to give three takeaways here on 3 and 30, so I thought I would tell you three reasons why I believe BetterHelp is an outstanding option for busy moms who want some additional emotional and mental health support. First of all, and most obviously, it's so convenient to do counseling appointments online. You can schedule appointments at a time and pace that works for you and your busy family with no need to line up childcare or drive to and from appointments. You just get the kids settled in for quiet time or you turn on a movie for them and you head to your room for some counseling via video or phone call. My second takeaway is that BetterHelp makes it easy to get started with a counselor without overthinking it. Many of my friends have been talking about going to therapy for years, but it feels hard to find a counselor. Where would you even start in order to find a good fit? And so you just never do. With BetterHelp, you go to their website and fill out a brief but thorough survey about your needs and your preferences in a counselor, and they match you with someone within 24 hours. You read over their bio and background, and if it feels like a good fit, you go ahead and schedule your first online appointment, and you can be talking to someone within the week. And if at any time you decide that your counselor is not a perfect fit for you, you can request a change at no cost. This is perhaps my favorite part of BetterHelp because it just makes it so that you stop overthinking and take action on getting the help that you need. And the third reason why I think BetterHelp is an outstanding option for counseling is that it's more affordable than traditional face-to-face therapy. And financial aid is even available for those who qualify. Therapy is always an investment, and it's 100% worth it, I might add. But BetterHelp makes it more possible for anyone who's struggling to get the help that they need. They're also offering 3 and 30 listeners 10% off your first month with the code 3 and 30 So don't go another day overthinking whether or not you should invest in counseling. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash 3 and 30 and fill out that quick survey. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash three and 30. I'm so grateful that they've been our sponsor for April and I hope to partner with them for many more months in the future. And now onto the show. This is episode 127, why you shouldn't just ignore your kids fighting and what to do instead. Welcome to three and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30 minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. We're back this week with part two in a series on sibling rivalry, which is a topic I've wanted to address for a couple of years, but I've hesitated to because much of the common advice 
that I hear about sibling conflict, even from parenting gurus and experts, it just didn't sit well with me as I parented my own kids. Advice like, just ignore it when they fight. It's natural. While that approach is certainly easier for me as a mom than trying to figure out a proactive solution to helping my kids get along, it just didn't seem to work for my two strong-willed kids. It didn't feel right in my heart either. Just ignore it when my kids are saying horrible things to each other or physically aggressive with each other. Nothing pushes my buttons more than when one of my kids is mean to the other one. So inevitably, I would intervene and get furious with the offender, sometimes yelling at them or punishing them. But that didn't feel right in my heart either. And it didn't seem effective in stopping the fighting from happening in the future. So I've been searching for just the right expert to teach me how to do this well in my own home. And I knew that as soon as I found him or her, I would invite that person into all of your homes as a guest on 3 and 30. And for many years, I'd heard about the work of Dr. Laura Markham, author of Peaceful Parent, Happy Siblings, How to Stop the Fighting and Raise Friends for Life. But I hadn't made time to sit down and read her book until last summer when the fighting in our house got so bad that I knew it couldn't wait any longer. I'm so glad I finally took the time to read. And I was so motivated by the book that I shared portions of the audio version with my husband as we drove with our kids to Glacier National Park for a week of family time. And I have to say it was the best family vacation we've ever had because we had Dr. Laura's advice fresh on our minds so we could intervene with patience and effective coaching skills when the squabbles between our kids came up. And it was pretty magical to see the relationship between my kids start to transform within just one week of us using the strategies. I'm so excited to have Dr. Laura back on the podcast today for part two of our series together on sibling rivalry, and I know that her methods will change your life as much as they've changed mine. So Dr. Laura, welcome back to 3 and 30. Thank you for having me. I love that story about your children. In a week, you can turn things around. What an empowering, uh, inspiring idea for everyone who's listening today. Yes. I mean, really, it was noticeable. Once we started doing this coaching that you're going to teach us how to do in this episode, they started using the language too. Within one week of us, you know, talking through conflicts with them and teaching them how to resolve, they started doing it on their own. And I have to say, we've, we've, you know, we've slipped back into some habits and we're revisiting and we're trying again. And that's the beauty of this is that once you kind of have these skills and you know, this framework for handling conflicts with your kids, you can come back to it when you get a little bit off track. And that's where we're at right now with this COVID-19 quarantine and my kids, my kids tempers are rising. And so I'm coming back to your work to get us back on track. That's great. I want to start off. You did briefly uh, mention this at the end of last week's episode, but it's so important. I want to make sure everybody hears this again. We do hear often just ignore it. But why is it not effective to just ignore sibling rivalry and conflicts? And, and why does it create dynamics that we don't want between our children? Well, what happens when you ignore something? Usually it escalates, right? If you ignore a child's whining or crankiness, it escalates. If you ignore your children's fighting, it will escalate or, or, your child will find some other way to meet that need. So when two children are fighting, sure, they will settle it one way or the other. And what the research shows is that the more powerful child will win. So the more powerful child winning over and over 
makes the other child either resentful or compliant. And you're basically, you're tacitly endorsing bullying. You're teaching kids bullying. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of research on this showing that they're not actually learning skills to work things out if you just leave them to do it themselves. You actually need to model for them and teach them how to do it. And when you do that, they do learn to work things out. And an example would be your kids beginning to use the language. And I do want to add here that parents sometimes say, if I say that when I'm speaking to parents, they'll say, well, but you know, we didn't used to do that. You know, my parents never showed me how to work things out with another person. True. And how good are you at working things out in your marriage, for instance? That's always a question I would ask. But also, also, I would say, did you have the opportunity to have a close friend when you were young and you had a pretty equal power dynamic? So one person didn't always win. You learn to work things out with that person. It turns out that's where kids build social skills Mm. is with playmates who they have a pretty equal power dynamic with because they're both motivated to compromise. And it's like, well, I want to play this game and you want to play that game, but it's more important to us that we play, so we're going to work it out, right? Whereas if it's a sibling, it doesn't work that way because the person with the most power ends up winning unless there's a grown-up there who's able to say to the two kids, hmm, so you want to play this and you want to play that. I This is a hard decision. I wonder how you two are going to work this out. Right. Mm -hmm. So once you have an adult on the scene, they can provide that sort of evening of the power dynamic so the children actually do learn those skills, those negotiation skills and and the skills to work things out when things get hard with another person. Yeah, because like you said, it's true that they will stop fighting eventually if you ignore it, but not because they resolved it in a like a way that's building emotional intelligence. Yes. It's because one of them gives up because the other one has dominated, you know? And so you're really creating a power dynamic between siblings. Um, and, and you mentioned this in the la- last week's episode, that becomes even more entrenched when they think that their parent approves. So if their parent isn't intervening, but they think their parent can hear what's going on, then they think, well, mom must be fine with this. So it's fine to be an aggressor to get what I want, or it's fine for my sibling to treat me like this. And so we really can't start ignoring their fighting until we have taught them the emotional skills to know how to respectfully solve problems. Once we've coached those skills, then yeah, maybe we can start to ignore more of these squabbles because we know that they have the skills to figure it out. Well, and I would say you're not ignoring, you're listening Mm. and you're saying, hmm, are they going to work this out. Yeah. Listen to that respectful language. Listen to this. Wow. And you might even say to them, I am so impressed you two. And you're, you're giving positive energy to that solution, but you're not ignoring exactly, right? You're making sure they've got it. Yeah. And this reminds me of my, my little boy sees a counselor who we love. um, And she told me once that he tells her about issues that he runs into on the playground. And he says that when he goes, goes to talk to the monitor about it, the monitor says, work it out. And he said to his counselor, if I knew how to work it out, I wouldn't be asking the grown up for help. Right. And I thought, wow, <laughs> like that's, a, that's so true. And yet we think of it as tattling sometimes when kids come to us and we say, oh, just work it out. 
when really the child is asking for help, they don't know how to work it out. And through your your process that you teach, I now know how somewhat, I mean, I'm learning how to teach my kids how to resolve their conflicts so that they can learn how to work things out on their own. So can you lead us through these three steps to coaching your kids to problem solve instead of of attacking each other? Absolutely. So the first step when you hear loud voices is you go in and you acknowledge that there's a problem. You describe the problem. Mm -hmm. You do it without judging anybody or making anyone wrong if possible. And you empathize with both sides. So you would go in and you would say, whoa, whoa, I hear loud voices. Or I hear some words that could really hurt somebody's feelings. Or I heard Devin telling you, Marguerite, that he doesn't want you to do that. And he said it a few times. And it looks like you really want to do that. You two are having such a hard time. So notice I didn't make Marguerite wrong for what she was doing. I acknowledged her perspective. She wanted to do this thing. But I pointed out that Devin had asked her three times that I'd heard to not do it. I was just going to say, as parents, the first step is to just state the problem. You mentioned in your book that kind of separates it from the people. It makes it less personal. So you just, it's kind of like you're a third person objective and you just say, I hear loud voices Mm -hmm. or I hear this or that. And you're kind of stating both sides of the problem. So-and-so wants the toy, but so does someone else. And it's, you're making it so that they realize that the other person isn't the enemy. We just have a problem to be solved right now. And you can even use that approach if one person is a baby, if one of the children's a baby. Mm -hmm. You can say, wow, you two are having such a hard time right now. The eight-month-old, right, is is having a hard time because the three-year-old is tormenting him, right? But you can just say, wow, you two are having such a hard time right now. I I hear some unhappiness. You're both unhappy, aren't you? Mm, Yeah. So you can just start there. So this is always your starting point. State the problem, empathize and don't judge. And so in this case, you would say to the three-year-old, it seems like you really want that rattle that the baby has. And then you say to the eight-month-old, and it seems like you really want to hang on to the rattle. (laughs) Wow, we have a problem, don't we? Yes. Yeah. And I love that because the baby has no idea what you're saying, but you can still acknowledge both sides of the problem. Well, you're doing it for your older child. Yes. Right. You're not doing it for the baby, although it helps the baby. In in fact, you're doing it for the older child to not feel because otherwise, what would we all do? We'd come and say, stop grabbing that from the baby. Yes. All of a sudden he's down. You didn't listen to him. You didn't acknowledge his perspective. Right. Yes, for sure. So I had a situation with my kids this morning where I was snuggling with my son. So I had snuggled with my daughter first because she woke up earlier. And then I went, I heard my son awake. So I went and got in his bed and was snuggling with him, which he loves. And then his sister came in and at first he was fine with it, but then she was annoying him or something and it quickly escalated. Um, And he wanted her to leave and he kept telling her to leave. And then he was raising his voice and yelling get out of here. And I was like, not sure how to mediate it. And I was thinking about your book and all the skills. (laughs) And, um, he was saying, I've had it with her. Mm -hmm. What should I have done there? (laughs) Okay. You'd state the problem. You'd say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everybody is unhappy now. What, tell me your children's, we don't have to use their names actually. We can. Yeah. I use their names all the time. Oh, okay. 
Then, so what's your son's name? Noah. Noah. And what's your daughter's name? Sally. Sally. Okay. So you'd say, Noah, you were having such a, we, we were having such a wonderful time snuggling, weren't we? And you were loving that, Noah. And then Sally, you and I had a great time snuggling before, but you came in because you wanted to find somebody to hang out with. And we were in here and you wondered where everybody was. Is that right, Sally? So you're describing both of their perspectives to them. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing you do. And notice there's no judgment here. You haven't made Sally wrong and you haven't made Noah wrong for wanting you all to himself either. Cause mm-hmm. in fact, neither child is wrong. Right. And then, and then. So that's takeaway one. So we could stop there or we could move into. Yeah, let's move into takeaway two. And you can use my same scenario to show us what to do with that. Sure. Right. So you have to decide at this moment if your children are able to talk to each other. If one of them is going ballistic and trying to hit the other one at this point, you don't try to have them talk to each other. You separate them. You talk them down. And you, you, you know, you're still acknowledging. And then when they feel better, you can bring them back together. But let's assume that at this point he was yelling, I've had it with her, but he's not, he's not um, completely ballistic yet. So you say, Noah, you are saying that you are tired of Sally interrupting. Is that what I'm hearing? You can tell your sister, and then we want to encourage him. This is takeaway two. If the children are ready to talk, encourage them to express what they need or want to the other child, but without attacking. So you say... Right now, you want something, Noah. Can you tell Sally without attacking her what it is you need? That's a big ask for a kid, and and you can help him do it. But do you think at that point he would turn to her and say, I'll tell you what I need, and that's okay, even if he has that tone of voice. Would he say, I need you to get out of my room and leave me alone so I can snuggle with mom? What would he say? Yes, that sounds exactly like what he would say. (laughs) Okay, okay, great. That's great. So that's a win. That's a win. Because he's not saying, Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what I need. I need you to not ever have been born, right? So at this moment, (laughs) he says, I'll tell you what I need. I need you to get out of here and and let me have time with mom. At that point, she looks at him and she's, well, how would she respond to that? She'd probably go a little hurt in her face, right? Yes. If I were this mom at this moment, I would have had my arm around him this whole time, but I'd be trying to touch her. But if she's now too far away to touch because she's hurt, I'd give him a little squeeze and I'd be sliding out of that bed where I've been snuggling. I'd say, I would say, I would turn to him and say, almost beneath my breath, mm-hmm. I'll be right back, sweetheart. And I would slide out of the bed and be right over there taking her into my arms and say, that must have hurt to hear your brother say that. I can see your face looks hurt. You know, your brother loves you, but he was really enjoying snuggling with me. And then he didn't get to do it anymore when you came in. You and I had such a good time snuggling, and we're going to do it again later. Have you thought about what you want for breakfast? I wonder if while after we make breakfast while we're eating, you want to read a book with me. You could go pick out a book, and we'll be done snuggling then, and we could read after we all make breakfast together. Do you think she would go with you at that moment, or would she be too hurt and angry at him? I think she would. Um, she's She has a temperament. She's she has a playful temperament where she does like to tease. And I think she really likes to egg him on when she can see that he's getting escalated. She's like, I'm not going anywhere, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and not necessarily really in a heart way, which I'm grateful for. It doesn't seem like um, 
he hurts her with his words too often. It's more like she's like, yeah, look at this rise I'm getting out of him. Mm. So sometimes I don't, he has stated his boundary that he wants her to leave and she won't do it. And so I don't know, like, do I force her to leave? Mm. Do Mm -hmm. I, how do I get her to leave after he said what he needs without being like, get out, you right. know, like, which then I, I don't want to withdraw love from her. So that's kind of the dynamic between these two and that situation. Great. That's great. So you saw me skirt that issue. I slid right out of that bed and onto her side. I told him I was coming right back. He knows I'm coming back. He knows I'm defending him, but I slid out of that bed to connect with her, to put my arm around her, to walk her to the door mm. without a word about what I was doing. I, I'm walking her to the door saying, I can't wait to read a book with you while we are, you know, after we make breakfast together. Yeah. And I bring her to the door of the room, but you almost have to. How old, how old is she? She's only four? She's five. Oh, she's five. Okay. So she's on that borderline where you would almost have to walk her. You can't just walk her. You have to walk her out of the room and toward where you're headed, you know, like toward her room or wherever the books are that she's going to get. You have to use like... Go get the book and pick out three, would you? So we can see which one we, was our top book for the morning. You've got to keep her busy, right? So yeah, you, yeah. you sent her out to get the books. And, and, and now she's on her way down the hallway. You shut the door. I would go back to him, get, get in the bed and say, that was hard, huh? Mm. It must feel like sometimes your sister's always interrupting us. You said that you were tired of her doing this. It must feel like that happens a lot. Mm. And then he's able to say, a lot. You don't know the half of it. And he tells you. And you don't have time to listen to all of this right now. But at least he feels heard. You're not just asking him to go on as if nothing happened. Mm. And so he tells you whatever he tells you in response to that. And then you say, wow, I want to hear more about this. Because it must be hard for you to feel like that. I want to hear more about it. And right now I want to give you... 10 kisses and three hugs because we didn't get to, you know, we need to finish our snuggling, but I want to make sure we get enough snuggling. So you get him laughing as you do the 10 kisses, Mm. you know, one on his kneecap and one (laughs) on his ear and whatever, and the three hugs. And then you say, okay, so we're going to make breakfast and I'm going to read a book to your sister during breakfast. If you want me to read a book to you during breakfast, uh, you know, absolutely on for it. Yeah. That way they both got their needs met and they're both going into the day without a chip on their shoulder toward their sibling. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, thank you for walking me through that. And I, I do feel like one thing that I've taken away from your book is the idea of being an interpreter mm-hmm. for my kids. And I just like that so much more than like being a referee or a judge. It's like, I don't need to referee or judge anything. I can just interpret for them and say, oh, it sounds like Noah wants to finish his snuggle time. Or even I I had the thought, I think she really, she came in to see me, but I also think she came in to see him because Uh I think he's her best friend, you know? Uh And so, but I don't think he realized that. And so I thought during afterwards, you know, I could have interpreted a little there and said, I think sister came in here because she was really excited to see you yes. and wish you good morning. It's, I'm so glad you guys are best friends. Beautiful. You know, so I'm kind of interpreting the behavior, the behavior for them. So I love, I just really love that. And I try to think of that. Be an interpreter, not a referee or a judge. Explain to them, you know, what these different behaviors mean. I love that. Yep. And then what's the third takeaway? 
Okay. So the thing we didn't finish with takeaway two, because we had a specific situation where it didn't seem at least what I would do at that moment. Yeah. The thing we didn't finish is you would have children restate with their hearing. So let's say you had a different kind of a situation. You had an altercation where they were equally angry at each other. You know, you came in my room. Well, then you kicked me, you know, or whatever. So you have each child tell the other one, as we did with Noah. Um, and then, and, and you'd say, and Sally, it seems like you have something you wanted to tell your brother. And she would say, I came in because I wanted to play with you. So then she's telling him what she wants. Mm-hmm. And you say, okay, thank you, both of you, for telling each other what you wanted. And Sally, what did your brother say to you about what he wants? I know he wants to just have snuggle time with you, but I wanted to see him too. And then you say to, to Noah, it sounds like Sally had something really important she told you. What did you hear her say? She wanted to see me too. She came in because she wanted to play with me. Wow. How does that feel? Does that change anything? Right. So you're helping them tell each other and then helping them restate it, Mm -hmm. not in a punitive way, but more in a, wow, your sister told you something that seems so important. You know, what, what did she say to you? And then, so that's takeaway two. And then takeaway three, you've now gotten to the point where they've, they've worked through their feelings. They've expressed their wants and needs. And the other child has even acknowledged their wants and needs, right? And now they might be able to work it out. So at mm-hmm. this moment, whatever the altercation was, you can say, hmm. So we still have two kids who want different things. Noah wants to be here and finish snuggling with mom. And Sally wants to be with somebody. She wants to play with Noah. She wants time with mom. She wants something. How can we work this out? And at that point, Noah might say, if he's still mad, I just want you to leave, right? But he might also say, because she's now told him he, she wants to be with him too. He might say, you can be here, but you have to sit on the floor, not on the bed mm-hmm. or whatever, right? <laughs> and she might say, that's okay. I could sit on the floor. How long will you be? So at this point, they're already starting to come up with solutions. Either she's going to accommodate to his solution, staying on the floor, or she's going to go get something to entertain herself while she sits on the floor. Or she'll say, I'll sit on the floor, but only if I can look at your such and such, something she doesn't always get to play with. Mm -hmm. So they're already working something out. But there's a reason they're at this point that they can work it out. And it's that they already got some help from you to deal with those big feelings. Mm -hmm. They got to say what they wanted and needed. They got acknowledged and they felt heard. You heard them. And maybe even the sibling was allowed, not allowed, um, able to rise to the occasion and say what they heard their their siblings saying to them. Mm. So if, if we can do that, if we can give kids the ability to say what they need, validate, invite the other child to restate what they're hearing, then kids, the big feelings aren't pressing on them and they're able to maybe work out a solution. Yes. And this finding came from couples therapy, actually. In couples therapy, therapists used to teach couples how to work out disagreements and compromise and come up with win-win solutions. They couldn't do it because they were too angry. But once the therapist taught the couple how to say what they wanted and needed without attacking and how to express their vulnerability and their hurt, suddenly they've worked out their feelings. Then it's no problem for them to come up with a win-win solution and a compromise, right? And the same thing is true for children. Even a four-year-old wants to work things out with their brother or sister. They, They want things to feel good. Right? They're willing to, they love to solve problems. 
but they first need some help with the feelings. Mm. And I love that you that you teach to use that word solution because that's what my kids started saying. You know, when I tell them, do you think we could come up with a solution? What are some of your ideas? And to just accept all of their solutions that they come up with, even if they're really far-fetched or kind of mean, you know, just Mm -hmm. instead of shooting it down, like if Noah said, well, I, my solution is she can get out of my room. I say, well, that's one idea. And you, you even say, you know, write it down so that they see you're writing down all Mm -hmm. the solutions. Mm -hmm. So I write down, she could leave the room, (laughs) you know? And then I'm like, what else could we do? I could say something silly, like, what if we moved a king size bed in here? So we all fit better or whatever. And they kind of laugh and then we write it down. So it kind of, the laughter loosens it up. We get all the solutions out and you're not always going to be able to write it down depending on where you are and everything else, but you're brainstorming all the solutions. And then it's very easy for them to then start choosing one together. And once you've kind of gotten all the solutions out and you haven't shot anybody's idea down, And that's been a really big shift for me as I've helped them resolve conflicts. I love that you're doing that. And it always works. It works to write them down because it has some sort of magic for them. Yeah. And I think the reason that it works is also they feel heard. Yes, that's it. So when he says, well, she could just leave the room, that's going to be his first answer. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. The first answer will always be she should leave the room. But then he feels heard that you've written it down. But she also doesn't feel as attacked because you've just said, Yep, that's one idea. What other ideas? So she doesn't feel powerless in the situation. Yes. I know in your book, sometimes you'll, you say the other child will protest and say, no, I don't like that solution. And you just acknowledge it and say, you don't like that solution. I hear you. We'll come back. We'll look at, you know, we're going to hear everybody's ideas first, and then we'll choose one we all agree on. So you're validating the feelings of the other child, but you're still writing down all the ideas. And it's it's just brilliant, the whole process. I'm glad you think so. I have seen it work wonders with kids who before this could never come to terms with each other. But again, you have to do the feelings first if you can, because otherwise kids are not going to be as good at finding solutions. Yes, absolutely. Well, Dr. Laura, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time for not just one, but two episodes. And if people listening want to dive into more of your work and learn how to be more peaceful parents, where would you suggest that they start? Well... My book, Peaceful Parent, Happy Siblings, is a great place to start for sibling information. Your description of how it impacted your family uh, is one I hear all the time, actually. Hmm. So if you're having sibling issues, that's a great place to start. Uh, my website, ahaparenting.com, there is a sibling section, so you can also take a look at that. Perfect. Well, thank you again for coming on and for your time and for all of the work that you do for families. Okay, so what are your thoughts as you finish this episode, my friends? Are you ready and wanting to step in as an interpreter for your children when they fight? Or does it sound like a lot of work or a lot of coddling that you just can't get behind? It is a lot of work to coach your children through conflicts and teach them how to solve problems respectfully. It's certainly much more energy intensive than just ignoring it and believing that they'll learn to work it out on their own. But for me, the shift that I've seen in all of the relationships in our house since I've started parenting this way has been so worth the extra effort. My children are kinder to each other and closer friends. Overall, they just seem softer and more forgiving in general. They seem to feel safe and secure in a way that they didn't before. So while I initially thought that this type of parenting seemed a little bit warm and fuzzy and maybe a little too coddling... I'm seeing it pay off big time in the development of my children's empathy and in their relationships with each other and with me. 
And like I mentioned in the intro, it took a surprisingly short amount of time for me to start seeing these results. It's been a bit like a miracle. So what are the three steps if we want to stop trying to be a referee or a judge in our children's conflicts and instead be a loving interpreter and guide for them? First, just state the problem without judgment. This is a lot like being a third-party observer, saying things like, I hear loud voices, you're both really upset, or I see that this child wants this and this child wants this. It's really frustrating when someone won't give you what you want. How could we work this out? Second, if children are ready to talk, encourage them to express to the other child what they need without attacking, and then encourage the other child to restate what they heard. If children are not yet ready to talk, give them lots of empathy and love so they feel that their emotions are heard. Only then will they be ready to hear the other person. And third, once children have expressed their wants and needs and the other child has acknowledged it, encourage the children to brainstorm as many solutions as possible and see if they can find one that works for both people. It feels like it'll take a long time to do this process every single time your kids start to squabble, but I promise it gets quicker and easier the more you do it. You get in the habit of just stating the problem and what you're hearing, expressing empathy without taking a side, and brainstorming solutions with them. And then they start doing this on their own. I want to remind you to go back and listen to episode one of this series with Dr. Laura if you haven't already. I've heard from many listeners that it was their favorite episode of 3 and 30 ever, so be sure not to miss it. And I want to end with a quote from the introduction of Dr. Laura's book that really captures the essence of what this series has been all about. She says, As you've no doubt already figured out, just ordering children to get along doesn't help them learn to manage their emotions, communicate their needs, or resolve their differences. If you give kids the skills to navigate the complex terrain of human emotion and relationships, you'll raise children who can work things out with each other. They'll be able to advocate for their own needs while respecting the needs of others. And they'll learn to look for win-win solutions rather than settling into bully and victim roles. In short, you'll raise kids who love deeply, regulate their emotions, and have healthy relationships. Isn't that what we all want, moms? I know it is. And I know that we can do it, small and simple, every day as we coach our kids and love them well. I'm rooting for you. I hope you're hanging in there during these crazy quarantine times. And I hope you have a great week with your family.